Welcome back to the BOMA. A podcast from the International Livestock Research Institute, where we discuss how sustainable livestock is building better lives in the global south. My name is Elliot Carlton. And I'm Brenda Coromina. Today, we're going to talk about a growing problem in the developing world, one that could threaten the viability of outdoor livestock production, and in doing so, jeopardize the health and livelihoods of hundreds of millions of people. That problem is heat stress. But before we go any further, what exactly is heat stress? Heat stress in livestock sort of arises because of a, a combination of, of, of various factors, high air temperatures, high relative humidity, and solar radiation and wind speed. And all of these things affect, um, affect an animal's ability to, to thermoregulate or to keep its temperature within uh, sort of acceptable bounds. That was Philip Thornton, one of the top 50 most influential climate scientists in the world, according to Reuters. As a principal scientist at ILRI, his research focuses on assessing, prioritizing, and targeting climate change adaptation options to support smallholder farmers. In the very early 2000s, um, we started looking at some of the climate climate change impacts on we actually started on the crop production. Over the years I've been involved in quite a lot of work around sort of how what the impacts may mean for um, for small scale farmers, particularly in low and middle income countries. Um, and climate change, I mean I guess um, the, the science has been around for long enough that it was sort of fairly clear that um, you know, agriculture in general, crops, livestock things were going to get sort of increasingly bad, for, particularly for small-scale farmers, unless as I've just seen as we've gone through time, um, the impacts become, you know, become more and more sort of worrying, I would say. And of course, the, the effects on, on small-scale farmers become more pronounced in many places. And so it seemed, it seemed to me a, um, an important area of research that we should um, try to get a grip on. While there has been a fair bit of research on crop impacts, not too many people have looked into how rising temperatures and heat stress could affect livestock, especially in the developing world. Um, and so this seems a, you know, this a massive imbalance that really needs to, to be corrected, given that you know, every, almost everywhere you go in, uh, say, sub-Saharan Africa or South Asia, you know, there are always livestock around. And they're sort of a critical, critically important component of of farm systems and for livelihoods and so on. And so this seems an imbalance that we really need to look at. Recent research into heat stress and livestock has started to address this imbalance. At the moment, there's something like 1.4 billion cattle on the planet. Currently, there's probably it's about 6 or 7% of those, of all those animals, are affected to some extent by, by heat stress, um, and most of those are in the, the lower latitudes. By the time you get to the end, cent- end of the century and under a, uh, under a high greenhouse gas emission scenario, um, then that, that sort of 6 or 7% will increase to something like um, 65% or even 70%. 
That high greenhouse gas emission scenario means a situation in which atmospheric CO2 concentrations climb to around 630 parts per million by 2060, and around 1,020 parts per million by 2100, and we're already well on our way there. For reference, in 2020, atmospheric CO2 concentrations were around 412 parts per million. If that happens. We would be living in a world where around two thirds of all cattle globally would be at risk of heat stress, and that's just cattle. Other livestock species would be affected as well. This would potentially make outdoor livestock production impossible in many parts of sub-Saharan Africa and the rest of the developing world, because the impacts of heat stress on livestock can be extremely severe. With heat stress that's going above. And what animals can tolerate, then all kinds of impacts in terms of feed intake gets reduced,、um, which can obviously have knock-on effects on on productivity of milk or, or meat. And of course, they can, they can seriously affect animal welfare. Obviously, animals are trying to trying to stay within their,、um, their sort of comfort zone, as it were.、Um, and if that's not possible, then obviously、um, you know, their their welfare can be severely affected. If there are some large amounts or long periods of extreme heat stress, then it can reduce animals' fertility, can increase their susceptibility to disease, and in extreme cases, it can it can kill animals. The effects on animal welfare and health are obviously very concerning, but they're just the tip of the iceberg because when livestock are affected, so are people. Right. There's the growing demand for animal source foods in the developing world. And as Dr. Laura Iannati told us in a previous episode, animal source foods are also crucial to fighting global malnutrition. If heat stress reduces the productivity of livestock and, in some instances, kills them, it would be devastating for the health and nutrition of millions of people across the developing world. And we can't forget the millions of livelihoods connected to livestock that could also be destroyed. Given all these challenges associated with heat stress. It's definitely an issue that deserves immediate global attention. But as we've seen so far, the world hasn't taken the necessary steps to meaningfully address the climate crisis. And considering that so many people in the developing world depend on livestock for livelihoods and nutrition, what kind of world would we be looking at if heat stress made it so that outdoor livestock production was no longer viable? Yeah, well, I mean, I think the, some of the impacts could be you know, could be really serious because it's、um, as you know,、um, livestock play a whole range of roles in、um, in small scale farmer systems.、Um, I mean, they're sources of assets, and they're often for you know, for poor, vulnerable people. They're often some of the only assets they really have、um, that can be you know, converted in times of you know, in times of great stress. They can you know, livestock can be sold for. Uh, if they need income for,、um, for for school fees or other things such as things like that, and there'd be substantial losses of income at the household level, like particularly for say dairy producers. Generally, it would sort of just decrease the resilience of the household,、um, and if, if livestock were not were not able to be kept, then sort of there were just fewer options for the household to be able to cope in times of adversity. And you've mentioned another key one already on the nutrition, so decreased dietary diversity,、um, which again could very well be a 
an outcome of or an impact of increased heat stress and on livestock. And so uh, the loss of loss of say livestock animal based foods could be uh, a crippling blow for uh, for many millions of households in the, in the tropics and subtropics that uh, that really depend on them. And the impact of heat stress on livestock would be devastating, not only at the household level, but also for national economies. Yes, exactly. I mean, all this would alternatively, you could see it as uh, um, uh, putting big pressure on governments to import animal source foods, which is then a it's it's yet another use up of or use of, um, of precious foreign exchange. I think you could see it as a sort of it would be operating in at least in at least two ways: increased prices for consumers, which would make it sort of much more challenging for for consumers to to, to access animal source foods, as well as or and or um, increased imports um, from other places, um, which would then also have knock-on effects in the, in the sort of the national economy. All this is making me wonder to what extent mitigating some of these future challenges is even still a possibility. Me too. Can we actually prevent these predictions from becoming a reality? Or is the warming used in these projections pretty much already locked in? No, I think mitigation is hugely important because you could, you could change uh, the situation from being sort of like, serious um, to becoming sort of much less serious by, by the end of the century. As, as you might expect, you know, the costs of adaptation um, and, and the costs to, to small-scale farmers' livelihoods uh, will increase massively. You know, the, the longer we go on doing nothing about this issue, like, like, like in so many issues. Well, that's certainly encouraging that we can still stop some of these projections from becoming a reality if we're able to make the necessary reductions in our greenhouse gas emissions to avoid those high-emission scenarios. And along with mitigation, I would guess that adaptation is also important to help manage the impacts of heat stress when they do arise in livestock. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. But adaptation measures can be difficult to implement because those most susceptible to heat stress are poor, vulnerable farmers in the developing world. So in addition to being effective, adaptation measures must also be affordable and available to smallholder farmers. There's a range of, of relatively low-cost um, options that may be suitable in different places. Um, and parts of Latin America, they've done quite a lot of work in silvopastoral systems. So this is, uh, these are grazing systems with, with trees in them. There are some interesting papers that, that show that if you put trees in particular arrangements to provide shade for animals, then that can have a substantial impact in terms of reducing heat stress that's suffered by cattle. So there's, you know, there are options there. There are other um, relatively low-cost options as providing shade through, um, say, with, um, with sheds um, or providing sheds with even manually operated fans. Um, I know in parts of India they already bathe their animals with, you know, in, in water from a couple of times a day. These, these are all options that, um, that, that could be considered. Another thing that's also just moving animals to areas of perhaps higher altitude um, where you know, humid, humidity is sort of decreased compared with, with other areas. I mean, of course, it's not always so easy just to move animals from one place to another. 
Um, but there are places, I think, where, you know, where this could be a feasible option. And another possible adaptation strategy, which Ilri is looking into, takes advantage of the fact that certain livestock breeds and species are less susceptible to heat stress than others. You know, sheep and goats, and goats in particular, tend to be more resilient um, than cattle. So well, on a species basis, and pigs and pigs and poultry may also um, be um, be less resilient. So I mean, one of just sort of by the by, one of the adaptations that that can be open to to small scale farmers would be to shift from say the some of the species that are more susceptible to the species that are less susceptible. So in that case, it, would, it could be moving from say cattle to some of the small ruminants, such as sheep and goats. Within particular species, then there, are, there can be quite large breed differences. Some breeds are, um, are more tolerant of um, relatively high levels of heat stress than others. Also, there's been some work done on goats. Um, and so, again, from an adaptation perspective, there may be prospects for crossbreeding, say, local animals that are sort of have a higher heat tolerance than um, than others, so there are some there are some prospects there. Okay, so there are clearly both mitigation and adaptation strategies available to us. But is there anything else we should be doing to prevent some of those looming dangers we've discussed? Yeah, I mean this is this is a good question. Also, the important thing is I think just not to lose hope. Looking at it sort of like glass half full rather than glass half empty, I get the feeling, and I think many other people do as well, that over the last two or three years, and I'm not sure quite whether if we're at that sort of that societal tipping point yet, but I think we may be getting close to it. Where I'm, I'm particularly thinking of uh, younger people because I think they're the ones who are they're the ones who are going to have to deal with with many of these issues in the future because they. Old, old people like me will be, sort of, will be out of it completely. So I think we may be close to a tipping point where there's enough, there's enough sort of movement from, from the ground upwards onto governments to really make them face, face these issues. So Brenda, I'm really struck by Philip's comment that it's people like you and me and others in our generation that are going to have to address these issues. It can be challenging to remain hopeful about the future of our planet, but what I take from Philip is that there are still things we can do to mitigate and adapt to climate impacts and prevent them from reaching their most dangerous potential. Definitely. It can be difficult to talk about the dire projections related to climate change, but we can use discussions with people like Philip to gather the information and develop the tools necessary to face those challenges head on. Absolutely. And I think that that's a great place to leave off for today. Thank you to Dr. Philip Thornton for taking the time to not only discuss the problems associated with heat stress, but also for showing us what we can all do to address them. And thank you to our listeners for being with us today. Uh, If you enjoyed today's episode, please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. We'll catch you next time on The BOMA. I'm Elliot Carlton. And I'm Brenda Coromina.